Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Food is life. Create and savor yours. This is your culinary playground and a very easy way to get your quick fix of gastronomic entertainment for the weekend. You've tuned in to the hippest and the hottest and the coolest culinary conversation on the radio. And I welcome you to my kitchen because the scrumptious conversation starts right here and right now. Whether you love to cook or love to eat, we can definitely be friends and you are bound to find something that you love on this show. I hope you'll visit chefjamie.com in the process of a revamp, in fact, where we're making it easier and simpler and more beautiful uh, for you to steal thousands of recipes for dinner tonight. I hope you'll become a friend and a fan as well for my daily dish on social media. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you'll find me at Chef Jamie Gwen because a meal is a terrible thing to waste. And please do tune in every weekend as we have grand guests that are heating it up in your radio. I'm celebrating 20 years on the radio and the privilege of being able to share my passion for everything delicious on the plate. So I like to kick off the show with a tutorial of sorts to make you the best cook you know. And I thought we could talk chili for a minute, if you don't mind. Uh, Beef or pork, chicken thighs or vegetarian, the beans or no beans, tomatoes or no tomatoes. I actually believe that any kind of chili can be a winner. And whatever your preference for America's most beloved stew, it's flavorful, it's hearty, it's deeply satisfying on any night, but it is particularly apropos on game night. And everyone loves chili, right? And seeing that football season has kicked off and I am trying to usher in fall here in Southern California, a meaty, saucy bowl of chili topped with fresh avocado and pickled red onions and a dollop of lime scented sour cream with a sprinkling of salty cheese sounds really good right about now. And it is always a crowd favorite. Now, I think few dishes are more comforting or more versatile than chili. Over the years, I've created chili recipes for every taste, including an espresso black bean filet mignon chili and a cashew chicken chili and a turkey chili and even a vegetarian chili that you make in your slow cooker using a jar of salsa that I must say is pretty darn delicious. So I thought I would share with you what I've learned in order to prepare the ultimate flavorful, filling bowl of goodness. Now, meat or some sort of protein, could be the beans, chili powder, diced onion, good garlic and spices, uh, make chili an iconic American staple, right? It's served everywhere today from uh, high-end restaurants to hot dog carts. And everyone has their own unique recipe that celebrates this seemingly humble dish. 
But I wonder why people are so diehard about what chili should and shouldn't be. Of course, there are basic principles. You need to brown the meat. Why? Because browning adds flavor. You need to cook the aromatics because that's how you build a savory base. You need to add some sort of liquid and you need to determine your heat level. But let's dig a bit deeper, shall we? Because I think that the soul-warming, savory stew that chili is possesses flavors from around the world, and we should embrace that. Now, yes, it is reminiscent of Mexican cuisine, but most food historians will agree that chili is an American dish originated in the great heartland of Texas. But there are no shortage of recipes for chili lovers. And I wanted to expand chili horizons, give you some of the unexpected chili add-ins that I love. And you can thank me later. All right. First, I love sweet potatoes in my chili. Oh yes, I do. An excellent source of fabulous flavor. They lend a natural sweetness that tempers heat, but it adds a contrast in texture. And moreover, they thicken the chili without rendering it heavy or overly starchy. So try adding peeled and cubed sweet potatoes to your next pot of chili. They complement black beans beautifully too, by the way. And you will have this perfectly sweet, warming, savory, smoky, lovely meal that feels very cozy. Now, I always add acid to almost everything, whether it's uh, chili or not, uh, but you have to fight the bland chili syndrome. It's a growing epidemic. So I add a splash of balsamic vinegar. It's bold acidity. It brightens up the flavors. It wakes up your chili and you already have it on hand. So splash it in just a little bit and give it a final stir and then serve proudly. Now, whether it's game day or not, I think adding beer to your chili is a really good idea. Why not replace some of the liquid in your favorite chili recipe with something that isn't so bland, right? Maybe you're using beef broth or chicken broth or even mushroom broth as the base, but a bottle of your favorite beer brings out the flavors of the beef or sausage or chicken or beans and all those fragrant spices. So just do it. Now, I also think coffee is a wonderfully earthy addition to a pot of chili. So I have a cup of joe in the morning. I like a pick-me-up in the afternoon, and then I put a cup into my chili. Yes, I do. Um, Coffee and most hearty proteins share that unique earthy flavor that's hard to get enough of. And incorporating brewed coffee into your chili adds surprising depth and complexity. It's actually crazy good. So swap out some of the liquid in your recipe for a leftover cup of joe, and you will get a bowl of chili that you won't forget. Now, I say add chocolate too. Chocolate in chili, you bet. Chocolate, much like coffee, long been used for deep, complex flavor in chilies and stews and moles and more. And you could use cocoa powder when you add your other spices, when you start your chili recipe, or you can throw in a chunk of dark or semi-sweet chili to melt right into your chili as it simmers. It pairs beautifully with chilies, as in the dried or fresh chilies. Um, So you can crank up the heat and then add a little chocolate to tame it down. 
And then back to the liquid, if you believe that beer or coffee is good, cola is even better. Yes. As it slow cooks your chili with soda added, uh, some Dr. Pepper fans are rejoicing here because by the way, it is a great addition. It adds a really sort of mysterious taste that will have everyone guessing what your secret ingredient is. So if you're making a, a ground beef chili and you've caramelized onions and added chopped tomatoes and your favorite beans, add a can of cola and I'm telling you, you'll knock it out of the park. For chili inspiration, by the way, please visit chefjamie.com or email me. We'll dish jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. Okay, this is important food news and I just have to mention it. I have to get it in uh, before we move on to glorious culinary conversation with the great Bart Van Olfen. I'll tell you all about it. But first, did you know that Kellogg's wants you to add water to your cereal? Oh, they do. It just released... And it's from Kellogg's and it's called an Insta Bowl. And when you pour yourself a bowl of cereal in the morning, you go and get the milk, right? Well, have you ever run out of milk? Of course we have. The latest innovation from Kellogg's says just pour in water. Why? Because Kellogg's new Insta Bowls of cereal magically turn your water into milk. That's right. There is a healthy dose of milk powder in the container, and that means you can have cereal just about anywhere. I cannot wait to taste it. If you've already tried it, please let me know what you think. Powdered milk has existed for generations. I wonder why this revolutionary product took so long. Oh, I might have cereal for dinner. I might have cereal first and then chili. And then I'm going to pull out all of my tinned fish. Why? Because there is a rock star chef, a truly sustainable hero, and an absolutely delightful gentleman sitting down to dish with us next. Live from Amsterdam, Bart Van Olfen is here, and we're going to talk about veggies and fish and everything in between. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss the upcoming conversation. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'm delighted you're listening. Don't go away. There is delicious dialogue in your radio right now, so listen up. Chef Jamie Gwen here. The New York Times loves him, and his love for canned fish has created a movement. He cooks and eats plant-forward pescatarian. He's a sustainable fishing advocate and arguably one of the world's most passionate food artisans. He is Bart Van Olfen, and live from Amsterdam, we are congratulating him on his hit third 
cookbook. Entitled Veggies and Fish, it's a mastermind of recipes and techniques, insight and invaluable information, all about raising the standard of the way fish makes its way to your plate. And oh, it is so delicious. I am very delighted and flattered that Bart is gracing this show again, and I can't wait to dish with you. Congratulations, my friend. This is a beautiful work of art, and I know you're very proud of this new chapter, I'll call it. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for, uh, yeah, and uh, thank you for the wonderful introduction. So I am proud. It's uh, it's the next next book. Um, really happy with it. Yeah, no, Absolutely. I think it's next level too, Bart. And, I, you know, I happen to love the, to read the introduction of a book, especially when it's written by the author, because it gives you insight. We know about you and your passion and how you've created a canned fish movement. Um, but in the intro of this book of Veggies and Fish, you speak about your time in restaurant kitchens, very much something I can yep. relate to, where the protein, the six ounces of hand-cut filet was the center of the plate. And you say, right, you say today, and I, I point out the word, fortunately, things are very different. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're speaking about the 90s, but I'm <laughs> sure that it still happens in a lot of kitchens, is that we start with this piece of meat or fish, and then we add the sauce to it. Sauce is important. But even these days, in the 90s, in a three-star mission restaurant, it was really at the very end that we thought, okay, what kind of veggie sauce shall we serve with it? We were not inspired. It was like the sequence was, was quite boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if we would analyze it today, yes. back in these years, but at that time, there was no, that was what it was. Um, and um, so I'm really glad that things, have changed. And, well, I think this book, like with the Kent book, every time I, I, my aim is to touch a, an angle on, in, 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 which relates to sustainability, yes. to our future, to make sure that also next generations will be able to consume seafood. And one of the things uh, um, is canned food. But, but in, in, in this book, I try to um, emphasize on the fact that cooking veggies is a fantastic thing to do and that fish, and especially also preserved fish, is a great thing uh, to add to it. Yes. So that's what the, what, 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 what the book is about. Yeah, and I, I think there's a beautiful compliment strewn throughout the pages of your book that highlights these wonderful veggies and not some of them not so traditional. And then mm-hmm. the the compliment of fish on the plate and the photographs are beautiful by the way and I know there's a lot of kudos to the photographers and friends of yours that have highlighted your dishes in this book so spectacularly Um, you say that we don't always need to eat fresh fish and I think that's a very interesting perspective if you would elaborate because we need to be conscious of the fish no matter where it comes from no true Um, I think there um, it's only as well relatively a small percentage or a percentage of the people who live close to, to the sea um, who are in the luxurious position to, to uh, obtain or to buy fresh fish. Uh, and even then, not every day. I mean, there are seasons, there, are, uh, there is availability. It's a, it's, it's, it's a play of, of uh, 
um, supply and demand. Yes. And I think, I mean, especially if you live further away from 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 the coast, but also if it, if you if, if if it's not in season, preserved fish is a real solution towards the future. Well, one of the solutions. So, um, frozen fish is a good thing. It's it, the techniques to freeze fish is, are becoming much better. Um, and I love canned and smoked fish, yes. which, which allows you to also consume it yes. uh, when it's preserved off-season. I but, love, but I love that you mentioned... Yeah, I love that you mentioned frozen, though, because I... I hope that great cooks know that the the processes on a fishing boat to catch and clean and flash freeze are extraordinarily progressive today. And I patted myself on the back reading through the first portion of your book because I'm very bold to tell you I have a favorite sea bass that comes prepackaged, frozen in individual portions and it's delicious. It is. Well, I think freezing is one of the things. But if we would learn consumers how to defreeze it in the most perfect way. Yes. I think uh, not many, uh, well, not everyone knows how to defreeze or to defrost a, a piece of fish. That's so important. So what's important is that you allow the liquid to move out of it. But not, so it, doesn't, it shouldn't swim in this defrosted liquid. Right. So you need to have this tray... Uh, which is not a tray, with like a sieve, and, and, and you put a fish under it. So in the, in the fridge, it will, uh, be, uh, will defreeze. It's a defrost to defreeze. Sorry for my English. So defreeze. <laughs> and then, because of the air circulation in the fridge, the fish will get a bit drier, which allows you to, to make this perfect pan-fried or often mm. uh, uh, roasted fish. It becomes crunchy from the outside and, and juicy and tender in, uh, from the inside. Mm. If you would defreeze a piece of fish in the liquid or leave it in a tray, then um, it loses uh, the texture yes. and uh, yeah, it, it won't become uh, as, as good. So th- that's a really important uh, uh, procedure to, yes. uh, to follow when you, when you buy frozen fish. Thank you for the education. I think that's brilliant. And because of you and your last book, my pantry is well stocked. With and I've always lo- I've always loved smoked fish. I love the preservation process, but I love the smoke even more. So I have yeah. um, beautiful smoked salmon in a can and tuna in a can, sea tails tuna in a can, and I find it's the easiest go to. Bart, I can throw it in a salad. I can make a fish cake. I can eat it as a pr- a pure protein snack. And when you start to yeah. embrace that. The flavor oh, yeah. and the satisfaction that comes from it is very well rounded for me. No, it's it's it's. I, I, I mean, I, I'm a big big fan of of tinned fish for several reasons. Um, if you buy the right quality, um, it's so delicious. Oh. You get good good thing. It's already cooked for you, and and almost every single can of fish, uh, or in every single uh, can is wild fish. So we're around the globe, over 50% of the seafood consumption is from farm fish already. Hmm. Um, in a tin, it's wild fish. Now, it's a great thing, and I'm happy to see that more and more people, also in, in the United States, um, are eager, are interested uh, uh, to consume uh, uh, 
Please stay with us. More with Bart Van Olfen on Veggies and Fish, live from Amsterdam, right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you've just tuned in, you're missing out because Bart Van Olfen is here, the proprietor of Sea Tales. Uh, you'll find his tinned or canned fish in your favorite gourmet grocery store. He is a, an, a food artisan, a restaurateur, uh, one of the most passionate food lovers that I know, and a, a mastermind when it comes to fish and veggies. The new book called Veggies and Fish actually has just released inspired new recipes for plant forward pescatarian cooking. And Bart Van Olfen is talking with us live from Amsterdam. Um, Bart, can we talk vegetables for a moment? Because I I got to page 13 and I got excited because you wax poetic about sea vegetables. And we do in the U.S. um, very much embrace seaweed in all of its forms today. And that trend is ever growing as well, much more so around the world, but growing here. So I travel a lot. So I I, I fish with fishermen all around the world. And uh, a few years, um, yeah, it really fascinated me to see also when, when we are eating in these local seafood restaurants that that seaweeds and sea vegetables were becoming more and more a thing. So I dived more into the subject and found out it's so healthy for you. Mm. But also in terms of sustainability, um, it could be another solution towards the future. Well, there are many solutions, but we need to put them all together. Then we will survive, right? right. So um, but seaweeds and sea vegetables, there are plenty of them. There, there are so many different species. Uh, I mean, take, for example, dulce. And, and if you would pan fry dudes, it smells and it tastes like bacon. Huh. And imagine, I mean, dudes, I can promise you, it's much more healthier than a piece of bacon. Yes. <laughs> and it adds so much flavor and richness to your dish. Uh, kelp is a great thing. I know that, that there are many kelp farms, or there are some kelp farms uh, uh, around the coast of the United States and Canada. It's, it's, it's a fantastic product, which is traditionally used in many Japanese uh, cuisines, in, in, in Japanese kitchens. Uh, yes. We all know nori, of course. Um, so may, and if we, if we have our sushi, we eat this wakame salad, but it's so easy also to make it yourself. Mm. Um, it's a great thing. It's yes. a great thing. And sea vegetables, so the difference between seaweed and sea vegetables, so sea vegetables, they really grow in the ground. So... Uh, uh, of the sea, but on the uh, at the sides of the sea, and seaweeds is more like um, it. Uh, or, or the sea vegetable comes out of the ground, that, that, and, and, and seaweeds grow more on the surface of it. Um, often, sea vegetables have a more firm texture. Um, samphire, for example, which is really so. Instead of using salt, use some samphire. It's it's fantastic. Hmm. Um, and it's colorful, so yes. especially if you have your white fish or your salmon, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful contrast with, uh, with this, uh, this beautiful green veggie. I love the texture, Bart. I love the texture of sea vegetables for their crunch and the seaweed for the silkiness. Uh, yeah. 
and the exactly. yeah and, and the mouthfeel that you get. I happen to be a great seaweed lover. And it's interesting you mentioned that there are farms and there are across the US for sure. I also have an aqua farm near me that um farms uh, beautiful mussels and um so many wonderful other things and they have moved into the seaweed and sea vegetable world and it's beautiful to see their growth and the expansion of of what yeah. they're doing to better yeah. the planet and better our plate. Could we please make we a... We really need to support it. Yes, that we yeah. do, for sure. And they have the owner has graced this show so that we can highlight um, where you can go and what you can get in your area. Uh, could we please make a salmon tataki salad with miso dressing together? Because I would like to have this for <laughs> dinner tonight. Yeah, it, it, also, it has all these crunchy, uh, crunch, crunchy veggies, so whatever it's in season... Um, whatever is in, uh, is available near you, and, and it's a bit crunchy, you can use it for this amazing salad. Um, and this miso dressing, well, it's, it's, you can use some regular oil, some sesame oil, because I love that nutty flavor, mm-hmm. some vinegar for acidity, some sourness, and some soy sauce for some, some saltiness, and, and of course, a, a touch of mirin so, um, for some sweetness. And then, well, uh, at, at, at the white miso, or the miso, um, it's it's great. You have this typically Japanese uh, lunch dish, and uh, tataki is is it looks amazing. Um, often people think it's really difficult to prepare, but I promise you, it's so easy to make. Just make sure you have a good piece of fish. You can buy frozen. You can buy fresh, and just well, you just roll it through white and black sesame seeds. I love to add some fennel seeds for the fennel seeds. Oh, nice flavor. Yes. Uh, coriander, yeah, coriander seeds. And you just pan fry it in a, in, in, in a dry pan. 20 seconds, 40 seconds each side. Or 20 seconds, 30 seconds each side. And delicious, delicious. Perfect. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's uh, one of my favorites. And, uh, oh. and often when I need to prepare these uh, on events, or uh, when they ask me to, what, what to prepare on the events, and then this is one of my. Uh, my one, of, one of your go tos. That miso dressing, I can't wait to keep in a mason jar in the fridge. And, and just drizzle on everything. Um, I, as I, yeah, as I flipped page by page through veggies and fish, I was um, rabbit earring marking every recipe that I couldn't wait to make. And um, <laughs> I, 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 it's true. I got to your Caesar salad and, and I thought this funny thought, Bart, I thought, I think that this Caesar salad is, is the highlight of veggies and fish. How funny that is that a salad might be my top pick in your new book. But I have to tell you, I have a love affair with Tonado. And the, ton- oh, the Tonado dressing, I can see this becoming my daily salad regimen. So talk Tonado, well, please. Just, mix it, just swapping, well, of course, we know the Fitella Tonado, then we know the Caesar salad, and then I thought, why don't... Well, use the best of both. So smart. This new salad. So. Yeah, uh, so this, uh, yeah, and this tornado dressing, and you can you can make it crunchy, leave it crunchy, just not to, to crush it too much. Uh, but you use, like, again, tinned fish, tinned tuna, which brings me also to, sub, to the subject, and I always want to mention it, uh, is, well, canned tuna is your most consumed, consumed seafood product in the U.S., hmm. and... Uh, uh, the sad thing is that, that, that a huge percentage is from a non-sustainable source. So make sure if you buy canned tuna, 
It's MSC certified and it's called by Poland Line. And even these days, there is Fairtrade certified canned tuna available on the market, which is really important because it's not only about our oceans, it's also to protect and to support these local fishing communities in developing countries. So, uh, yes. But as soon as you buy the, this can, you can enjoy this amazing, amazing setup. Oh. You know, I grew up on Tonado, Bart, and it was, you know, my mom was very forward thinking, loving veal Tonado, and she made a Tonado sauce, and I don't make it enough, but I'm telling you that is the first thing that I will make from the new book, and I'm very excited about it. And uh, alluding to what you said, yes, we have to be very conscious and aware of what we're buying and read the labels and read the can and that pull in line as you discussed and the certification. I look for your brand because I know and trust you, Sea Tales, S-E-A-T-A-L-E-S. And if you're anywhere else around the world, by the way, listening, you look for Fish Tales. Um, Those are both Bart Van Olfen certified, I would like to say. Um, Those are your, those are your uh, companies. Yes. If you say around the world that it's, we sound like a multinational. We are not. These are six boats with 117 fishermen in North Sulawesi in, in, in Indonesia, and they catch tuna by one by one by pulling line. Wow. We don't produce too many cans or many cans, but we are available well, widely and really proud to serve also uh, American consumers. Yeah, yeah you're doing, you're doing good work. Fishes. You're doing really thank good you, work, thank Bart. You, um, can we talk about, and I might mispronounce it, um, the classic Venetian dish of sweet and ah, sour sardines. One of my very favorites. Oh my yeah. gosh, I can't wait to make this. Peche, peche and sou- sour? Sour? How yeah, do you say yeah. it? Yes, yeah, sour. So and traditionally, sour. it's sarde and sour. Sarde and sour. Um, which means sardines and sour. And if you, um, if you have been in Venice. Yes, I have. have looked over the lagunas. You will see some islands, and um, and it's where they they well, there this dish is uh, is famous, but also in Venice. So, so what you do, you pan fried onion until and you pan fried like twenty minutes, thirty minutes, and you keep on stirring, and it becomes sweet. Mm-hmm. It becomes sweeter than sweet. Instead of it, your typically onion flavor will disappear into this amazing flavor of sweetness. And then you have the pineus and you have the raisins, and that's the base with some thyme. And I mean, this, the, the Venetians they they used to to serve sardines with it, and I did it in my book with uh, um, I believe it was Dorado. Yeah, Seabass. Seabass. I think. Beautiful. Um, but you can use any. Bart, I love talking food with you, and food enthusiasts are rejoicing that you are here right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. back and we're dishing with a true responsible artisan. Bart Van Olfen is here. You know him from his sustainability movement as a fishing advocate and one of the most passionate food artisans. We're celebrating his newest cookbook release entitled Veggies and Fish, a mastermind of really invaluable information to 
get in touch with food. Um, before I let you go off to do more good work, can you please talk octopus with us and, and educate us? Because I think there is a, an unfortunate trepidation about octopus, even with great cooks alike, that the process is long and laborious and you make it look super simple. So it's, it's, it's my best watched YouTube video. It's, it's where, people, where I learn people how to cook octopus. There are different ways. So, I mean, you can cook it in its, in its own liquid, yes. okay, uh, which comes out of, of, the, of the octopus, or you can cook it in, in, in water. And this is basically how I, the first place, try to teach people how to, to cook it. The thing with octopus is, is you need it uh, to cook it long, but on low heat. Low Never heat. cook it. The last thing you want to have is that it's like rubbery, this rubbery fla- uh, texture. Right. You want to have it soft. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a bit depending on um, how big the, the, the octopus is, but... Um, yeah, you, 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 you boil it even for 35, 45 minutes. Hmm. Um, you can add some, some, some herbs or some, um, yeah, some, some, some flavors with it. Then you cool it down. And, and if you mean one of the recipes in my book, then when it's cooled down, you grill it. Yes. So you, an octopus won't work. Octopus would, would work if you just grill it immediately. No, you have to. Um, you have to cook it first. Tell us, do you yeah. do you believe in the cork? Is one of the, the There's a, a, an old wives' tale that you throw a wine cork in and it keeps it tender. It's how the Italians do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I yeah no I do it every now and then, especially when I, I do my YouTube videos. Yes, I'm not sure. It's never proven, <laughs> to my understanding, but it looks nice. Uh, especially when people come eating with you uh, or at your place, it, 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 it looks you you are the, the most the expert. So well, uh, it can't hurt. Um, um, but no, true, true. Yes. But what really works is that, and it, it sounds a bit it may sound a bit awful, but you what you can do is like really uh, hit the fish to a wall. So you. How do you say it in English properly? So you, so yeah, you you pound you, you pound to, it to right. Soften the texture. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, and yeah. and and that's a very you, traditional tenderizer. A tenderizer. That's that's the beautiful English word I was looking. <laughs> so these are things which really will help you in the process. But um, yeah, I low heat. Low, low heat, simmering, low. Even not simmering. It's like 80 degrees, 70. I would do it at 60. I mean, how do you make a confit, right? If it's 60 degrees Celsius. I, I often cook my fish in, in oil on 60 degrees. Sorry, it's Celsius. So Fahrenheit, I'm, um, um, what is 60 Celsius in Fahrenheit? Anyhow, so it, it, it's exactly on this temperature when the, when, when, uh, when the fish will be fantastic. With octopus, it's the same. You need to take time for it on the low heat. Okay. And the good thing with octopus is I love to drink red wine with octopus. Oh, it has this I love distinguished that. flavor. Yes. All right. So it's deep. And, yeah. We're all going to the internet and searching how to cook octopus Bart Van Olfen YouTube right now. <laughs> and we're going to break the internet, Bart. Uh, Bart, I, 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 I love the insight <laughs> and the education. We love your passion. 
Uh, and I am thrilled to have in my hands your third book, and I can't wait to cook with it. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for continuing to share what you love and to share it um, so it's deeply. Pleasure, thank you. And responsibly. From the acclaimed author of the Tinned Fish Cookbook, Eco-Friendly Seafood with 95 Veggie-Loving Recipes, all just intertwined in absolutely spectacular beauty. Bart Van Olfen is raising the global standard of fish on our tables in the most delicious way. And this impassioned advocate of sustainable fishing is teaching us um, how to cook right and how to eat right um, for many future generations. The book is entitled Veggies and Fish. It is available on Amazon and in fine bookstores. And as the co-founder of a sustainable fish company, please look for the brand Sea Tales, S-E-A-T-A-L-E-S, in your favorite gourmet grocery store uh, because Bart's beautiful canned tuna is there and it is available and it is the right choice. Bart, will you please, from Amsterdam, grace this show again? I love having you here. I would be so happy to. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of insightful conversation. And I hope you thought so. I will leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary dialogue for the week. And I will invite you, welcome you, and ask that you please join me at the table in the weekends to come as there is lots more stimulating conversation to be had on all things delectable. My last bite recipe this week, because I am definitely football focused, is a pull-apart pizza bread, and you make it in the air fryer. You actually start with a tube of refrigerated flaky biscuits, and like you would make a monkey bread, you cut them into small pieces and toss them with olive oil and then coat them in a wonderful coating of uh, blended cheese, like your favorite pizza blend or Mexican cheese blend, Parmesan, uh, basil, and some roasted garlic powder. And then you drop all of those balls of pizza dough into your pan, surrounding them with slices of pepperoni, of course. And you air fry. It takes about 20 minutes till the edges are golden and the inside is puffed. You turn the pan out and serve it with marinara sauce for the best air fryer pull apart pizza bread you've ever had for the first quarter. And then of course you'll serve a pot of chili next. <laughs> it's a splurge night. Of course I will post my air fryer pull apart pizza bread recipe on social Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chef Jamie Gwen. And I will meet you here next weekend when we put all the ingredients together again for you. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. Thank you again for listening. I hope you continue to eat well.